I sometimes read uh, public domain books here on Leaves of Glen. And they were written a long time ago, uh, so they're usually uh, racist or sexist or bigoted. Uh, but in there somewhere and all that is a, a story, and that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read uh, works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist, but they might have adult language or adult situations. So that's your warning, uh, but I'm sure you uh, are grown up enough to handle it. Don't write to me complaining. Well, what's new with me? I finally got a washer and dryer uh, running. The electricians came today and just more money thrown at a problem. But in the end, I'm able to wash clothes. Though surprisingly, it doesn't really dry the clothes very well. So that's annoying. Uh, High-tech washers don't work the same as your standard washing machine. It, It tries to gauge what the level and the weight of your load is. And then try to decide, yeah, how should we, uh, how should we wash this? How should we dry this? And all the options it chooses uh, are lacking. So that sucks. I have to learn how to understand washers and dryers as never before. I'm starting to miss the old days of a washing machine that just turned the crank back and forth, kind of vigorously, and your clothes were always in danger. This whole. A smart washer that knows what kind of clothes you have and the weight of it and how gentle to treat it. And and it sucks. And then it doesn't take a a dryer sheet because once you put that thing in there and you close the door, oh, it's lost to the system. You can't interrupt it. If you try to interrupt it, uh, it's the biggest mistake you'll ever make. So you can't uh, wait for the drying cycle and decide, okay, now I'm going to throw a a dryer sheet in there. No, 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 you, no. You got to get liquid dryer or whatever, fabric softener, and you put it in there, and it dumps too much in, and then it smells like crap. So, I decided I'm going to finally do some, uh, it's been a week, I'm going to do some uh, towels for the shower and stuff. It's been a while, and so I'm going to wash these things. Oh, look at that. It's got a towel setting. Well, that's interesting. So, I press the towel setting, and, uh, and oh, off it goes. And uh, you can pour in the lip, uh, liquid fabric softener and liquid uh, uh, whatever, detergent and stuff. And it just knows to suck a little bit out and stuff. And so that's all great and everything. But uh, off it goes. And it says, finishing time, six hours. And I said, mother of God, six hours for towels? Why the hell would I ever do that again? But... My interest being the way it is, I decided that I've got to, I've got to do this, and I got to see where it goes. So, I'm about three hours into the six-hour process, and uh, realized it was still going, and I want to record a podcast in my basement, which is currently fly-free. So, uh, here I am, and I had to, like, how do I turn this thing off? So I had to read the manual, and there's a way to turn it off, but you gotta, you gotta use your phone. Because there's an app for your phone to manage all this stuff. So I used a goddamn phone, and uh, I finally told it to pause so I can record an episode of my podcast. Uh, I'm missing the... Just the human blood cast on the stone of reality approach to washing and drying. It's a machine that spins water, and it's a machine that blows you know, hot air. 
I missed that. I wish I still had that, but I'm locked in. With that, let's dive into our episode. Well, since uh, we've run out of um, whatthefact.com facts, which are hilariously written, we've moved on to biography.yourdictionary.com, facts about Mark Twain. So, well, we learned some stuff that's a little bit better written. In 1846, he was 11, and his father died of pneumonia, so he quit school and became a printer's apprentice with the Hannibal Journal to help support his family. Well, there's that. Not as exciting. Uh, He continued his work at the Hannibal Journal until 1851, during which time he was made a typesetter and contributed articles to humorous sketches. Ugh, lifeless. Let's go back to whatthefact.com. Oh, I love this place. What do we got here? Oh, John F. Kennedy is recommended. Oh, John F. Kennedy, The Hostile Life. John F. Kennedy, also known as, quote, Jack, was sent to the Shokate School in Connecticut for his, uh, for his ninth through 12th standard grades, where he, along with his brother Joe Jr. and his friend Kirk Lemoyne Billings, exploded a toilet seat with a powerful firecracker As a result, when the headmaster of the school, George St. John, spoke about this in the chapel assembly, saying that some muckers spit in the sea, Jack named his group the Muckers Club. Oh, that's so much better. Well, oh, they also have 10 interesting facts about Ronald Reagan. Yeah, we'll save that for another episode. Let's dive into the next two chapters. Chapter 13 Tom's mind was made up now. Ah, He was gloomy and desperate. He was forsaken, friendless boy. He said nobody loved him. When they found out what they had uh, driven him to, perhaps they would be sorry. He had tried to do right and get along, but they would not let him, since nothing would do them but to be rid of him. Let it be so, and let them blame him. For the consequences. Why shouldn't they? What's right had the friendless to complain? Yes, they had forced him to it at last, and he would lead a life of crime. There was no choice. By this time, he was far down Meadow Lane, and the bell for the school to, quote, take up, tinkled faintly upon his ear. He sobbed now to think that he should never, never hear that old familiar sound anymore. It was very hard. But he forced, uh, 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 but it was forced on him, since he was driven out into the cold world. He must submit, but he forgave them. Then the sobs came thick and fast. Just at this point, he met his soul's sworn comrade, Joe Harper, hard-eyed, and with evidently a great and dismal purpose in his heart. Plainly, there were two souls, but with a single thought. Tom 
wiping his eyes with his sleeve, began to blubber out something about a resolution to escape uh, from hard usage and lack of uh, sympathy at home uh, by rubbing it broad into the great world never to return and ended by hoping that Joe would not forget him. But it transpired that this was a request which Joe had just been going to make of Tom and had come to hunt him up uh, for that purpose. His mother had whipped him uh, for drinking some cream, which he had never tasted uh, and knew nothing about. It was plain that she was tired of him and wished him to go. If she felt this way, uh, there was nothing for him to do but succumb. He hoped she would be happy and never regret having driven her poor boy out into the unfeeling world to suffer and die. As the two boys walked sorrowing along, they made a new compact to stand by each other and be brothers and never separate till death relieved them of their troubles. Then they began to lay their plans. Old Joe was for being a hermit and living on the crust of a remote cave and dying. Sometime, eh, of cold and want of grief, but after listening to Tom, he conceded that there were some conspicuous advantages about a life of crime, and so he consented to be a pirate. Three miles below St. Petersburg, at a point where the Mississippi River was a trifle over a mile wide, there was a long, narrow, wooded island with a shallow bar at the head of it, and this offered well as a rendezvous. It was not inhabited. It lay far uh, over toward the further shore, a breast, a dense and almost wholly unpopulated forest. So Jackson's Island was chosen. Who were to be the subjects of uh, their piracies was a matter that did not occur to them. Then they hunted up Huckleberry Finn and joined them promptly. Oh, he joined them promptly. And for all careers were to one to him. He was indifferent. They presently separated to meet at a lonely spot on the riverbank two miles above the village at their favorite hour, which was uh, midnight. There was a small log raft there which they meant to capture. Each would bring hooks and lines and such provisions as he could steal in the most dark and mysterious way as became outlaws. And before the afternoon was done, they had all managed to enjoy the sweet glory of spreading the fact that pretty soon the town would hear something. All who got this vague hint were cautioned to be mum and wait. About midnight, Tom arrived with a boiled ham uh, and a few trifles. It stopped in a dense undergrowth on a small bluff overlooking the meeting place. It was starlight uh, and very still. The mighty river lay like an ocean at rest. Tom listened a moment, but no sound disturbed the quiet. Then he gave a low, distinct whistle. I was answered from under the bluff. Tom whistled twice more. These signals were answered the same way. Then a guarded voice said, "Eh, Who goes there? Tom Sawyer, the Black Avenger of the Spanish Man. Uh, Name your names. Huck Finn and the Red-Handed. And Joe Harper, the terror of the seas. Tom had furnished these titles from his favorite literature. Uh, Tis well. Uh, give the countersign. Two hoarse whispers delivered the same awful words simultaneously uh, to the brooding night. Blood! Then Tom tumbled his ham over the bluff and let himself down after it, tearing both skin and clothes to some extent in the effort. Uh, there was an easy, uh, comfortable path along the shore to the bluff, but uh, it lacked the advantages of difficulty and danger so valued by a pirate. Uh, 
The terror of the seas had brought a side of bacon and had about worn himself out with uh, getting it there. Finn, the red-handed, had stolen a skillet and a quantity of half-cured leaf tobacco and had also uh, brought a few corn cobs to make pipes with. Ha, ha, ha. Uh, but none of the pirates smoked or uh, chewed uh, but himself. The Black Avenger of the Spanish Main said it would never do to start without some fire. So there was a wise thought. Matches were hardly known there in that day. They saw a fire smoldering upon a great raft a hundred yards above, and they went stealthily thither. They helped themselves to a chunk. They made an imposing adventure of it. Ooh, saying hissed. Every now and then, and suddenly halting with a finger on the lip, moving with hands on imaginary dagger hilts, and giving orders in dismissal whispers that if the foe stirred, let him have it to the hilt. That because dead men tell no tales. Ah, oh, they knew well enough that the raftsmen were all down the village laying in stores or having a spree, but still there was no excuse for their conducting this thing in an unparatical uh, un way. They shoved off presently. Tom in command, Huck at the after oar, and Joe at the forward. Tom stood amidships, a gloomy brown, with folded arms, and gave his orders in low, stern whisper. Luff, ah, bring her to wind. Aye, aye, sir. Steady, steady, with a bunch of wise. Steady it is, sir. Ah, let her go off a point. A point it is, sir. As the boys steadily and monotonously uh, drove the raft toward midstream, it was no doubt understood that these orders were given only for style, in quotes. They were not intended to mean anything in particular. Uh, what sail is she carrying? Uh, corpses, topples, topsails, and flying jibs, sir. We'll send Riles up, R apostrophe Y-A-L-S, Riles. Lay out aloft, uh, there, half a dozen of ye. Four tops, oh my god, it's all one, it's one word with no spaces. Four tops mastons, oh, with apostrophe L, uh, exclamation point. Lively now, aye aye, sir. Shake out that mantigolalans with apostrophe L. Sheets and braces, now, my hearties, aye aye, sir. Hellamalee. Hard a port. Stand by to meet her when she comes. Port, port! Exclamation point. Now, men, with a with a will, steady with a bunch of wise. Exclamation point. Steady it is, sir. The raft drew beyond the middle of the river. The boys pointed her head right and then lay on her oars. Ah, the river was not high, so there was not more than two or three mile current. Hardly a word was said during the next three quarters of an hour. Now, the raft was passing before the distant town. Uh, two or three glimmering lights showed where it lay, peacefully uh, sleeping. Beyond the vague, vast sweep of star-gemmed water, unconscious of the tremendous event that was happening, the Black Avenger stood still with arms folded. Looking his last, in quotes, upon the scene of his former joys and his latter sufferings and wishing, quote, she, unquote, could see him now, abroad on the wild sea, facing peril and death with dauntless heart, going to his doom with a grim smile on his lips. Uh, it was a small strain in his imagination to remove Jackson's Island behind eyeshot 
of the uh, village. And so he looked his last with a broken and satisfied heart. The other pirates were looking their last too. And they all looked so long they came near letting the current drift them out of the range of the island. But they discovered the, the danger in time and made shift to advert it. About two o'clock in the morning, the raft grounded on the bar 200 yards above the head of the island, and they waded back and forth until they had landed their freight. Part of the little raft's belongings consisted of an old sail, and this they spread over a nook in the bushes uh, for a tent to shelter their provisions, but they themselves would sleep in the open air in good weather as become outlaws. They built the fire against the side of a great log, 20 or 30 steps uh, within the somber depths of the forest, and then they uh, cooked uh, some bacon uh, in the frying pan for supper. And they used up half of the corn prone to stock they had brought. It seemed glorious sport to be feasting in the wild, freeway in the virgin forest of an unexplored, uninhabited island, uh, far from the haunts of men. And they said that they would never return to civilization. Uh, the climbing fire lit up their faces and threw its ruddy glare upon the pillared tree trunks of the forest temple and upon the varnished foliage and the festooning vines. Well, the last crisp slice of bacon was gone, and the last allowance of corn prone devoured. The boys stretched themselves out on the grass and, and filled with contentment. They could have found a cooler place, but they would not deny themselves such a romantic feature as the roasting campfire. Ah, ain't it gay? said Joe. It's nuts, said Tom. What would the boys say if they could see us? Say, well, they just die to be here. Say, Hucky. I reckon so, said Huckleberry. Anyways, I'm suited. I don't want nothing better than this. I don't ever... Uh, get enough to eat, generally, and here they can't come and pick at a feller for, and bully-rag him so. That's uh, just the life for me, said Tom. You don't have to get up mornings. You don't have to go to school and wash and all that blame foolishness. You see a pirate, you don't have to do anything, Joe. Then he's ashore, but a hermit. He has to be praying considerable, and then he won't have any fun anyway all by himself that way. Oh, yes, so, said Joe. But I hadn't thought so much about it. You know, I'd uh, a good deal rather be a pirate now that I've tried it. Uh, you see, said Tom, people don't uh, uh, go much on hermits nowadays uh, like they used to in the old times, but pirates always respect it. And a hermit's got to sleep on the hardest place he can find and put a, a sackcloth and ashes on his head and, uh, and stand out in the rain and uh, what what is uh, he put a sackcloth and ashes on his head for? Inquired Huck. Nah, I don't know, but they gotta do it. Hermits always do. You'd have to do that if he was a hermit. Durned if I would, said Huck. Well, what would you do? Nah, I don't know. I wouldn't do that. Why, Huck? You'd have to. How'd you get around it? Why, I just wouldn't stand it. I'd run away. Run away? Well, you you would be a nice old slouch of a hermit. You'd be a disgrace. The red-handed made no response. Being better employed, he had finished gouging out a cob, and now he fitted a, a weed stem to it, loaded it with tobacco, and was pressing a coal to the charge and blowing a cloud of fragrant smoke. 
He was in the full bloom of luxurious contentment. Uh, the other pirates envied him this majestic vice and secretly resolved to acquire it shortly. Presently, Huck said, yeah, What do pirates have to do? Well, Tom said, Oh, they have just a bully time. Take ships, oh, and burn them. And uh, get the money and bury it in awful places in their island where there's ghosts, oh, and things to watch. And, uh, and kill everybody in the ships. Make them walk the plank. And they carry the women to the island, said Joe. Yeah, they don't kill the women. No, assented Tom. They don't kill the women. Yeah, they're too noble. And the women are always beautiful, too. Yeah, don't they wear the bulliest clothes? Oh, no. All gold and silver and diamonds, said Joe with enthusiasm. Uh, who, said Huck, Why the pirates? Huck scanned his own clothing for lonely. I reckon I ain't dressed to fitting for a pirate, said he, with a regretful pathos in his voice. But I ain't got none of these. But the other boys told uh, him the fine clothes would come fast enough after they should have begun their adventures. They, they should make him understand that his poor rags would do to begin with, though it was customary for wealthy pirates to start with a proper wardrobe. Gradually, their talk died out, and drowsiness began to steal upon the eyelids of the little waves. Ah, the pipe dropped from the fingers of the little red-handed, and he slept a sleep of a conscious free and weary. The Terry of the Seas and the Black Avenger and the Spanish Main had more difficulty in getting to sleep. They said their prayers inwardly, and lying down, since there was nobody there with authority to make them kneel, recite aloud. In truth, uh, they had a mind not to say them at all, but they were too afraid to proceed to such lengths as that, lest they should call down a sudden a special thunderbolt from heaven. Then at once they reached and hovered upon the intimate verge of sleep, but an intruder came, now that would not down, in quotes. It was conscience. They began to feel a vague fear that they had been doing wrong to run away, and next they thought of the stolen meat, and then the real torture came. They tried to argue it away by reminding conscience uh, that they had purloined uh, sweet meats uh, and apples uh, scores of times, but conscience was not to be appeased by such thin plausibilities. It seemed to them, in the end, that there was no getting around the stubborn fact that taking sweet meats was only hooking. Well, taking bacon and hams and such valuables was plain and simple stealing. And that was a command against the, in the Bible. So they inwardly resolved that so long as they remained in the business, their piracies should not again be sullied with the crime of stealing. Then conscience granted a truce, and these curiously inconsistent pirates fell peacefully to sleep. Chapter 14 When Tom awoke in the morning, he wondered where he was. Oh, he sat up and rubbed his eyes and looked around. Then he comprehended. It was the cool gray dawn. There was a delicious sense of repose and peace in the deep, pervading calm and silence of the woods. Not a leaf stirred. Not a sound obtruded upon the great nature's meditation. Beaded dew drops stood upon the leaves and grasses. A white layer of ashes covered the fire. And a thin blue breath of smoke rose straight into the air. Joe and Huck, they still slept. Now, far away in the woods, a bird called. 
Eh, eh, another answered. Presently, the hammering of a woodpecker uh, was heard. Gradually, the cool, dim gray of the morning uh, whitened. And as gradually sounds multiply and the life manifests itself, uh, the marvel of nature shaking off sleep and going to work unfolded itself into the mustering boy. A little green worm came crawling over a dewy leaf, lifting two-thirds of his body into the air eh, from time to time and, and sniffing it around in quotes. Then proceeding again, for he was measuring, Tom said, and when the worm approached him, of its own accord, he sat still as a stone with the hopes of rising and falling by turns as the creature still came toward him eh, or seemed inclined to go elsewhere. And when at last, it considered a painful moment with its curved body in the air and then came decisively down upon Tom's leg and began a journey over him. His whole heart was glad. For that moment, he was going to have a new suit of clothes. Without the shadow of doubt, a gaudy, piratical uniform. Now, a procession of ants appeared from nowhere in particular and went about their labors. Uh, one struggled manfully by, uh, with a dead spider five times the biggest size of his, with his little arms and, and lugged it straight up a tree trunk. A brown-spotted ladybug climbed the dizzying height and a blade of grass. And Tom bent down close to it and said, Ladybug, oh, ladybug, fly away home. Your house is on fire, your children's alone. Oh, and she took wing and went off to see about it, which did not surprise the boy, for he knew of old that this insect was credulous about conflagrations, and he had practiced upon its simplicity more than once. A, a tumblebug came next, heaving sturdily at its ball, and Tom touched the creature to see that it shut its legs against his body, pretending to be dead. And the birds were fairly rioting by this time. The catbird, the northern mocker, lit in a tree over Tom's head and trilled out her imitations of her neighbors in a rapture of enjoyment. Then a shrill jay eh, swept down, a eh, flash of blue flame, and stopped on a twig almost within the boy's reach, cocked his head to one side and eyed the strangers with a consuming curiosity. A gray squirrel and a big fellow of the, quote, fox, unquote, came... Uh, scurrying along, sitting up at intervals to inspect and chatter at the boys. For the wild things had probably never seen a human being before and scarcely knew whether to be afraid of it or not. All nature was wide awake and stirring now. Long lances of sunlight pierced down through the dense foliage far and near and, and a few butterflies came fluttering upon the scene. Tom stirred up the other pirates and they all clattered away with a shout. And in a minute or two, they were stripped and chasing after and tumbling over each other in the shallow, limpid water of the white sandbar. They felt no longing for the little village sleeping in the distance uh, beyond the majestic uh, uh, waste of water. A vagrant current or, a, I don't know, slight rise in the river had carried off their raft. Uh, this only gratified them since its going was something like a, a burning of the bridge between them and civilization. They came back to camp, wonderfully refreshed, glad-hearted, and ravenous. 
And they soon had the campfire blazing up again. Huck found a spring of clear cold water close by, and the boys made cups of broad oak or hickory leaves and felt the water nah, nah, sweetened with such a wild wood charm as that would be a good enough substitute for coffee. While Joe was slicing bacon for breakfast, Tom and Huck asked him to hold on for a minute. They stepped to a promising nook in the river bank and threw in their lines. Almost immediately, they had a reward. Joe had not had time to get impatient before they were back again with some handsome bass, a couple of sun perch, and a small catfish. Provisions enough for quite a family. They fried the fish with the bacon, and they were astonished, for no fish had ever seemed so delicious before. They did not know that the quicker a freshwater fish is on the fire after he is caught, the better he is, and they reflect a little upon what a sauce, open air, sleeping, open exercise, bathing, and large ingredient of hunger make too. They lay around in the shade after breakfast while Huck had a smoke. <laughs> and they went off into the woods and on an exploring expedition they trampled gaily uh, along over decaying logs uh, through tangled underbrush among solemn monarchs of the forest uh, hung from the crowns of the ground to a drooping regalia of grapevines. Now, when they came upon a snug nooks carpeted with grass and jeweled with flowers... They found plenty of things to be delighted with, but nothing to be astonished at. They discovered that the island was about three miles long uh, and a quarter of a mile wide. And if the shore it lay closest to was only separated from it by a narrow channel hardly uh, 200 yards wide, they took a swim about every hour. So it was close to the middle of the afternoon when they got back to camp. They were hungry to stop to fish, but they fared sumptuously upon cold ham, and then threw themselves down in the shade to talk. But the talk soon began to drag, and then, uh, you know, died. The stillness, the solemnity, the brood in the woods, and the sense of loneliness began to tell upon the spirits of the boys. They fell thinking, a sort of undefined longing crept upon them. This took dim shape presently, he was budding homesickness. Even Finn, the red-handed, was dreaming of his doorsteps and empty hogsheads. They were all ashamed of their weakness, and none was brave enough to speak his thought. For some time now, the boys had been dully conscious of a peculiar sound in the distance, just as one sometimes is of a, a ticking of a clock, ah, which takes no distinct note of. But now this mysterious sound became more pronounced, and forced a recognition. The boys started, glanced at each other, and then each assumed a listening attitude. There was a long silence, profound and unbroken, then a deep, sullen boom came floating out across the distance. Eh, what is it? exclaimed Joe under his breath. Oh, I wonder, said Tom in a whisper. Taint thunder, said Huckleberry in an odd tone, because thunder, hark, said Tom, listen, don't talk. They waited time that seemed an age, and then the same muffled boom troubled the solemn hush. Let's go and see. I don't know who's saying that. They sprang to their feet and hurried to the shore toward the town. They parted the bushes on the bank and peered out over the water. 
The little steam ferry boat was about a mile below the village, drifting with the current. Her broad deck seemed crowded with people. There were a great many skiffs rowing about or floating with the stream in the neighborhood or the ferryboat, but the boys uh, could not determine uh, what the men in them were doing. Presently, a great jet of white smoke burst from the ferryboat's side, and it was expanded, and rose a lazy cloud that seemed dull throb of sound was borne to the listeners again. Now I know now, said Tom, somebody's drowned "'That's it,' said Huck. "'They'd done that last summer when Bill Turner got drowned. "'They uh, shot a cannon over the water, and that makes him come up to the top.' "'I actually remember reading this, uh, I think, in junior high, "'and not understanding the physics of shooting a cannon over the water, "'making a body rise to the top. Uh, "'I get their shockwaves, but do shockwaves really affect the water "'if there's a body at the bottom of the water? "'I never understood this.' and wonder if they still do it to this day. Yes, they take loaves of bread and put quicksilver in them and set them afloat. Wherever there's anybody that's drowned, they'll float right there and stop. Well, that's bullshit. Yes, I've heard about that, said Joe. I wonder what makes bread do that. No, it ain't bread so much, said Tom. I reckon it's mostly what they say over it before they start it out. But they don't say anything over it, said Hug. I've seen them, and they don't. Well, that's funny, said Tom, but maybe they say it to themselves. Of course they do. Anybody might know that. The other boys agreed that there was reason in what Tom said, because an ignorant lump of bread, uninstructed by incantation, uh, could not be expected to act very intelligently upon set errand of such gravity. By jings! I wish I was over there now, said Joe. I do too, said Huck. I'd give heaps to know who it is. The boys still listened and watched. Presently, a revealing thought flashed through Tom's mind, and he exclaimed, Boys, I know who drowned it. It's it's us. They felt like heroes in an instant. Here was a gorgeous triumph. They, uh... Were miss, they were missed. Sorry, I got a text message, and I started reading it. <laughs> they were mourned. Hearts were breaking on their account. Tears were being shed. Accusing memories of unkindness to these poor lost lads were rising up. And unavailing regrets and remorse were being indulged. And best of all, the departed were the talk of the whole town. And the envy of all the boys, as far as his dazzling notoriety was concerned, this, this is fine. It was worth a while to be a pirate, after all. As twilight drew on, the ferry boat went back to her custom business, and the skiffs disappeared. The pirates returned to camp. They were jubilant with vanity over their new grandeur and their illustrious trouble they were making. They, they caught fish, uh, cooked supper, and ate it, and then fell to guessing at what the village was thinking and saying about them. And the pictures they drew of the public distress on their account were gratifying to look upon. From their point of view, when the shadows of night closed on them, they gradually ceased to talk, and they sat gazing into the fire, with their minds evidently wandering elsewhere. The excitement was gone now, and Tom and Joe could not keep back thoughts of certain persons at home who were not enjoying this fine frolic as much as they were. And misgivings came, and they grew troubled and unhappy, a sigh or two escaped unawares, and by and by Joe timidly ventured upon roundabout 
quote, feeler, unquote, as to how others might look upon their return to civilization. Uh, not right now, but dash. Tom withered him with derision. Huck, being uncommitted as of yet, joined in with Tom, and the uh, waiver quickly explained he was glad to get out of the scrape with a little uh, taint of chicken-hearted homesickness, clinging to his garments as he could. Mutiny was effectively laid to rest for the moment. As the night deepened, Huck began to nod. And presently, eh, uh, to snore, Joe followed next. Tom lay upon his elbow motionless uh, for some time, watching the two intently. At last he got up cautiously on his knees and went searching among the grass and the flickering reflections flung by the campfire. He picked up and inspected several large semi-cylinders of the thin white bark of sycamore and finally chose two which seemed to suit him. Then he knelt by the fire and painfully wrote something upon uh, one of these with his red keel, in quotes. One he rolled up and put into his jacket pocket, and the other he put in Joe's hat ah, and removed it to a little distance from the owner. He also put into a certain... Uh, uh, into the hat of a certain schoolboy treasures almost insumitable value. Among them, a lump of chalk, ah, an Indian rubber ball, three uh, fish hooks, and one of the kind of marbles known as, quote, sure enough crystal, unquote. Then he tiptoed his way cautiously among the trees till he felt that he was out of hearing and straightway broke into a keen run in the direction of the sandbar. Well, what do we learn from this? We learn that tiny little boys, uh, even hardened ones like Huck Finn, have a tough time, uh, you know, trying to be out on their own. Oh, they fantasize about being dangerous men. But when they actually have to do it, it turns out to be inconvenient. I do like that they appreciated the uh, small amount of meat and stuff they made, because I've experienced that when camping. When I've gone camping... Uh, you don't have the convenience of a bag of chips next to you or coffee or whatever you want. Suddenly you have to make it. And there's kind of like a weird deliciousness to waking up in the morning of the camping and having to make coffee from scratch from some weird percolator. It's a hand-me-down from your dad. But, uh, that aside, well, these boys were giant babies. They couldn't take it. And, uh, like I said, as I was reading it, I don't understand the cannon over the water. And that has haunted me from junior high up till now. And I kind of forgot about it until I was reading it again. I was like, oh, that's right. I remember reading. And I kept thinking, the shock waves from a cannon don't just make bodies stuck under a rock in the, in the river just suddenly loosen and come flying up. Weird. What's that about? And I kind of wonder if any of that's even true or just kind of made up. Well, that's left up for you guys to figure out, because I don't really personally give a crap. I'm fine living with that mystery for the rest of my life. How do I tie this into the washing machine? Uh, time. Uh, the, these boys want to be pirates, but they don't want to invest the time. They love the idea of it, but they don't want to actually have to do it for years and years. Uh, Huck Finn was even embarrassed of his own clothes, with the promise of being, if you're a pirate long enough, 
You'll steal enough fancy clothes that you'll look fantastic later. But that wasn't good enough for him. He was kind of iffy about it. And so then eventually Tom Sawyer, uh, the, the strongest of the group, actually took off to go back home to Mom. So, well, it goes to show, me with my dryer, uh, six hours to do your, uh, your towels and uh, your, your bath towels. What's the point of that? What the heck is that? Who wants to dedicate... Who thought I'm going to make this futuristic uh, washer and dryer all in one? And I'm going to make sure that six hours are dedicated for doing towels. Who wants to do that? You want it done in an hour and a half, just like every other washing and drying scenario. So I got to look into that. What's the benefits of waiting six hours? And maybe that's what these guys should have done. Huck Finn and Tom and and uh, what's the other person's name? Thorvalson. I forgot his name already. But what's the benefit of waiting out the whole pirate thing? And what's the benefit for me for waiting out six hours to dry my towels? Well, we can all sit there and study that and wonder about it. God knows I will. I'm not really going to get on the internet and look it up. But uh, there's that. Thanks for listening. And, uh, and thanks for listening. I know that during COVID, not too many people are listening to podcasts. Suddenly, people are kind of coming back again. So thank you very much, and I appreciate that. Uh, I see the stats. Oh, I got stats. I pay 30 bucks a month for hosting, so I got some stats. And I see that people are slowly kind of coming back again, probably because they're forced to work again against their will uh, and risk their lives at their workplace. But, uh, you know, thanks for letting me be a part of that death struggle you might be in. And I'll be back next week.